which obviously made it go along with this with these verses that Pastor Scott will speak to us about these dry bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the battle. It was a full, it was just full of bones. And he led it back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sophomore, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. I will come to life, and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into the slain that I may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, and breath entered them, they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Wow, can you imagine? And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When you open your graves and bring up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Well, thank you to the worship team. Thank you so much to everybody for joining us this afternoon. Let me open up with this question. When your gifts and insights are overlooked, do you feel unseen? Let me ask that again. When your gifts and your insights are overlooked by others, not recognized, not affirmed, do you ever feel unnoticed and unseen? Let me give a couple examples of how that sometimes happens more than we think. In 1886, a 19-year-old man uh, got a job working nights for Western Union Telegram. And when there were no telegrams to send, because it was the night shift, he would often conduct scientific experiments. One night he spilled some acid, which went through the floor onto the desk of his boss below. The first thing his boss did the next morning when he came in was fire that 19-year-old kid. And the fired worker was Thomas Edison, who would go on to obtain over a thousand patents for his inventions. Had Western Union realized that they had a genius on their payroll and handled that employee differently, it surely would have led to them obtaining inventive, cutting-edge technology that their rivals would not have access to for years. How about this? 
These are all true stories. In 1919, an editor for the Kansas City Star newspaper fired one of the copywriters, and the reason why he fired his copywriter was for lacking imagination and having no good ideas. And the fired writer was Walt Disney. Lacking imagination and having no good ideas. Here's a final example. In April of 1977, a television network in Baltimore named WJZ-TV fired a young news reporter right before she was supposed to go on the air. They told her she was just not connecting with her audience because she was too invested in the news. The reporter was Oprah Winfrey, who would go on to earn over $3 billion on television precisely because she made viewers feel that she was so invested in their stories. Well, the shared theme in each one of these examples is that sometimes even the very best in the world are not recognized for what they are great at. Isn't that ironic? Sometimes the even best in the world are not recognized for what they are great at. Sometimes there are geniuses among us and they are unaffirmed. They're great at what they do and nobody sees their effort. Nobody sees their greatness. Well, each Sunday this winter, we're studying a Bible story where it seems like somebody is unnoticed, only to eventually realize that God saw everything all along. We're uncovering weekly reminders of the God who sees us, the God who sees me, the God who sees you. And this afternoon, we come to this guy named Ezekiel in the Old Testament. He's taken from his home. He's given an impossible job, but he's actually really good at it. He's actually a genius. He learns and he declares things that nobody else would perceive for hundreds of years. But it sort of seems like he's a failure because his peers, those people that are around him, they don't see him, they don't hear him. They don't acknowledge what he does. So let's study the story of Ezekiel in three parts. If Ezekiel isn't one of your favorite characters in the Bible, it's just because you haven't heard a good sermon about him. He's awesome. You guys are going to agree with me. All right, so let's talk about this in three quick parts. First, let's talk about who is Ezekiel? What is he passionate about? What discourages him? What is he supposed to do? What is he known for? Section two, let's talk about how did God inspire Ezekiel, because we all need inspiration. And I sense that there's people that came here tonight just needing some spiritual inspiration. And so here we're going to talk about the Old Testament's weirdest and most beautiful and most inspiring vision. And then in section three, we'll just wrap up with some, some takeaway and some application and some encouragement for us as a modern audience. So let's talk about Ezekiel and what his passions were and what discouraged him and, and what we sort of see in this Old Testament book. Uh, if you guys would, turn in your Bibles or on your apps uh, to Ezekiel 1. Right here in the first three verses, we, we really learn a lot about Ezekiel uh, in some important ways that sort of set the story. So it, it opens up like this uh, before he goes on to see a vision of God driving a UFO. We're not going to get into that today. But like I told you, uh, this is a very interesting character in the Bible. The story starts off like this. In my 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, when I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw a vision of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoachin, the word of the God came to Ezekiel the priest uh, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians, and the hand of the Lord was on him. So there's a lot in there that sort of 
teach us uh, or ground us into what this story is all about. It tells us that Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest. And if life was going on and on its ideal path, like it does for none of us, he would have been in Jerusalem working as a priest, and you start that job when you turn 30. So just think of the things that he would have had uh, available to him if he was living that ideal life. He would have had colleagues. He would have had a comfortable financial margin. Talks in the Old Testament about the way that the, the, the extra sacrifices that were given at the temple were then distributed up among the priests, the grain, the meat, and all that stuff. In other words, Ezekiel would have been living a very comfortable life, surrounded by educated peers who were interested in the same things that he was interested in. He would have gotten an allowance to live off of, uh, and it would have just been a, a, a intellectually and spiritually stimulating life surrounded by peers in relative margin and comfort. But that's not the life that he's living because it tells us right here in these first three verses that he's in a refugee camp in Babylon. Uh, God's people had been warned for generations uh, not to be disobedient, not to be unjust to the poor, uh, not to worship idols. They were warned over and over again. And in this part of the Old Testament story, they're in exile. They've been driven out from Jerusalem. And so this guy who would be a priest is just wearing these dirty robes, sitting on the side of the river in a refugee camp. And if you're familiar with refugee camps, you eat what's given to you, you go where you're told to go, uh, and you don't really have any empowerment whatsoever. So that's Ezekiel uh, as we know him as the story starts. But it kind of gets worse because he's told that he's going to be a prophet. He's going to be a voice for God. And if you can kind of put yourself in the mind frame of somebody who would have been a priest, like that's good news because he wants to communicate the way that people have misunderstood God. He wants to give them, get them right, uh, he wants to get them back on the right path. He wants to represent God to the people and he wants to represent the people to God. That's what priests are supposed to do. But as he gets this commissioning and as God tells him how his ministry is going to go, listen, listen to the, the, how God describes it. And this is here in Ezekiel 2, 2 to 7. He spoke and the Spirit came into him and, and rose me to my feet. And I heard God speaking to me. And he says, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. And they and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. So say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. Though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious people, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. In case you didn't pick up on that tone, God is sending Ezekiel to these people. He says he's going to speak through them, and their response is going to be characterized by briars and thorns and scorpions. And he throws in there four times how rebellious the people are. It's not going to go well for Ezekiel, even though we'll find as the story goes on, he's great at what he does. He's brilliant. He's a genius but he doesn't have the response that you might anticipate that he would. 
Have you guys ever uh, turned on the TV and seen those like street performers, those street magicians? Sometimes those people that are just doing like a public spectacle to get attention, uh, maybe to promote a business or a, a TV special or something along those lines. That's one of the things that's sort of unique about Ezekiel. He does this street performance art to get the people's attention because, again, he's really good at what he does, this message that he's supposed to bring. I'll just summarize a couple of them. In Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, God tells Ezekiel to go out into the street and lay on his side for 390 days and then turn over on the other side and lay for another 40 days. And we don't know exactly what these numbers are supposed to represent, but in some form, they're supposed to represent years of disobedience that Israel has had to God. Um, we know now with modern medicine that it's really not good for a body to just lay and not do anything. Even just for five or six days in a row, you can start to get bed sores. You can, your muscles can start to atrophy. And um, it doesn't have good effect on a body. And so it doesn't tell us exactly where he's doing this. Maybe it was in his home. But most likely he's out there in the middle of this camp, laying on his side for 390 days, and he flips over for another 40 days. And, and I say that he's brilliant because the people would have, the first day they would have been like, hey, did you see Ezekiel? What's, what's that weird guy doing out there in the street? And you know, then after a couple, of, a, a couple of weeks go by, you know, they'd be talking about him as they were eating in their tents at night. And what, what, what's that guy's deal? What's he trying to communicate to us, right? Maybe they ignored him the first 150 days, but eventually they're like, what's with that weirdo? And they're trying to speculate what it is that he's trying to communicate. And, and he's just showing the, the atrophy that comes when you disobey God. And it's performance art. And it's right out there for everybody to see. Uh, a, little, a couple of verses later in Ezekiel 9, 9 uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 4, verses 9 to 13, God tells Ezekiel to go eat this special bread. And this is probably the Bible's best example of how Christians don't read their Bibles. All right? Let me explain to you. If you guys look up here, you can walk uh, into the bread aisle in Walmart and you can buy this Ezekiel bread. And churchgoers and Christians are like, oh, it says Ezekiel. That's from the Bible. This must be super healthy. Let's buy some because God wants to sustain us with healthy things. And if you read Ezekiel 4 9, which is right there on the wrapper, it says this. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, and put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lay on your side. Right? And that's filled with healthy things. And we all want to lose weight and we all want to be healthy. And so Ezekiel 4.9 makes us think for a second that that must be what God wants us to eat. But if you look at verse 12, which is not on the label... God says, eat the food as you would eat a loaf of barley bread. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. God does not want us to eat this. This is siege bread. This is what the Israelites would have eaten in Jerusalem when they were surrounded by their enemies. When they didn't have the normal ingredients to eat healthy. They just took every little tiny scrap they could find and they put it all together and it tasted disgusting. And Ezekiel is told to eat that to remind them of how bad captivity is, 
of how discomforting and uh, discouraging it is to be invaded, to be surrounded when you're disobedient to God. This one is really tough, but in Ezekiel 24, 15 to 20, you can write that down and look at it later. God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I am going to take the life of your wife and your job is to have no emotion and no public mourning for, for weeks and weeks. Boy, that's a tough ask, is it not? Ezekiel had his beloved wife's life taken from her and his ask from God was to go out in public without any mourning or without any uh, overt sadness. And of course, what Ezekiel is trying to communicate in that to the disobedient Israelites is that you have lost something precious to you and your relationship to God and you're not even mourning and you're not even showing any emotion, right? So Ezekiel is brilliant in the ways that he's trying to break through to the people and the way that he's trying to show them the error of their ways and the way that he's trying to reconnect them to a God who loves them and wants them to be filled with spiritual life and vitality. But it doesn't work. It's a little bit too little, a little bit too late. So I'd like to ask you guys to kind of relate to this character, Ezekiel. I'd like to ask you, can, can you relate to somebody who's trying to do the right thing and nobody sees, nobody responds, nobody gets it? Are you trying to live for God in your marriage, as a parent, as a grandparent or caregiver, in your workplace? Any of those situations only to just feel like nobody sees your efforts and nobody recognizes the goodness of God that you're trying to demonstrate to them. Are you trying to live in the way that God wants you to live only to feel like you're surrounded by briars and thorns and scorpions? And if you can relate to that at all, like you should like Ezekiel, you should connect with Ezekiel. Well, as you can imagine, this is a discouraged guy. That's a very discouraging commission to get from God. Those are some very difficult things to be asked to endure in public. And he's faithful. And it doesn't seem to have an impact. The people in this camp, the people in exile, they don't seem to be turning from their ways. You can read all the way through Ezekiel and it just seems like a life that doesn't really impact those who are around him. But then in Ezekiel 37, like I said earlier, we get one of the Bible's weirdest most inspirational and beautiful images. You guys ever seen uh, the, like the deadheads, that were, the Grateful Dead fans that wear those t-shirts and they're tie-dyed and they're just filled with all the little dancing skeletons and it's, you're just kind of like, well, that's weird, right? That's, that's sort of imagery that's coming out of Ezekiel 37. As it was read to us by the worship team, one day, Israel, uh, one day Ezekiel, who's just in the depths of his discouragement, he gets this vision, this dream, and in this vision, there's just this dry, dusty valley and all these skeletons just start like poking up through the ground and God's word is red and the, the bones start assembling. It's very strange and it should challenge us that the Bible's filled with stuff that we don't often think about. Like God's imagination is just so much more vast and beautiful than, we, than the box that we often put God and the Bible in. And these skeletons start to assemble but they're still like not real. It's still like old-timey animation. They're still not alive. They're just moving like characters in a flip book. And then God breathes, and they have skin, and they're alive, and they're people. 
And so uh, it's just this beautiful vision that we, we might think of like somebody who's just done like a drug trip, but it's in the Bible. And it's beautiful. And God is encouraging Ezekiel that he's the God who loves revival. He's the God who loves resurrection. If you guys think back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, it's sort of this curse that comes at the end when Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They've disrespected his boundaries. They've sort of taken him for granted. Uh, and listen to this sort of curse that's spoken in Genesis three seventeen to 19. It says, uh, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since the ground is where you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. So Ezekiel's uh, vision, it's, it's hearkening, it's, 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 it's going all the way back to the original curse of what happens when we sin and when we rebel against God. And it's easy to just kind of shake our fingers at uh, Adam and Eve. And it's easy for us to kind of shame Israel in Ezekiel 37. But of course, it's a picture of each one of us. Because we've each gone through periods in our life where we have just sort of neglected the good things of God. We've broken the boundaries, that, the good boundaries that he's given us for our lives. And then we've started to get dry and dusty and cut off from that vitality, that spiritual dynamic vitality that we all long for. So the dry bones are the consequence of Israel's sin. It's reminding us that we are all in that dry and dusty valley of death as well because of the ways that we've turned our back on God. But this isn't a vision that's meant to shame us. This is a beautiful vision of what God does when our rebellion and sin has led to death. Because what does God do to the valley? He brings massive resurrection. What does God want to do in your life when things have gotten spiritually rebellious and dusty? He wants to bring revival and resurrection into your spiritual life as well. The answer, God's answer to our disobedience, God's answer to our sin, it's resurrection. Right? In this story, he brings this massive resurrection of all these dry corpses. Later on in the New Testament, God's response to our sin and rebellion is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's response to our sin is resurrection. And that's beautiful. And it's beautiful when it happens in the gospel. And it's beautiful when it happens in the Old Testament. So really quick, let's uh, just talk about another thing or two that's really beautiful from this vision. Um, if you guys would look uh, here in uh, chapter 37, verse 4, it says this. Uh, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And what's significant about that is when God does bring revival, when God does work in our lives to get us sort of re-excited and reconnected to God, God's word plays a role in that. Okay, we'll talk about that again in a second. This whole act begins with the reading of God's word to the valley. And then it tells us there in um, Ezekiel 37, verse 10, that the bones actually come to life through an act of God's spirit. So I just want to ask you guys a question. Is there an area in your life that is dry and dusty and cut off from God's presence? Would you like there to be revival in your marriage? Would you like there to be an act of God in your parenting or caregiving? Would you like God to do something new and fresh in this church 
or the church that you're visiting from. Do you look uh, throughout the valley here uh, and wish that God would do a mighty work in our town? And the answer to any of those questions is yes. If you'd like God to bring a spiritual new work, those same two things are true. First of all, that reformation, it comes through God's word. So you need to be reading your Bible, right? Like if you would have told me two or three years ago that there's a chapter in the Bible where all these skeletons come to life, I'd say, no, that's not true, right? But But it's in there, right? Because when we read through God's word, it shows us what God values and what he wants to do. But just reading our Bibles on its own isn't enough. Because it's, it's an act of God that brings that life and that vitality. So my two challenges to you, if there's an area of your life like marriage or parenting or church or, or this town where you want to see God do a mighty, dynamic new thing, first of all, read your Bibles. That's, that's where that reformation starts. Second of all, pray that God would bring a resurrection or a revival or a new breath into that area. If you do those two things, man, it's going to happen. I promise you just like it does uh, here in this story. There's one more thing that I want to show you about this story that is just so beautiful. A little bit of this is speculation, but just speculate what it would have been like to be Ezekiel. You don't get to be a priest. You don't get to be in the upper tier of society in Jerusalem. You're in this refugee camp. You spend your lifetime doing these crazy things and nobody really listens to you even though he's faithful, even though he's really good at what he does. I think, and I know this is a little bit speculation, but I think it's pretty obvious that on some level, Ezekiel would have felt unseen, unheard, unnoticed. Like his whole life was this faithful exercise and being ignored, right? Like nobody really gets what he's all about. And then about 600 years later, In the book of John, we come to that famous story in John 20 when Thomas is like, you know, unless I see the hands in your, uh, the holes in your hands and the holes in your side, like, I'm not going to believe, Jesus, that you are the resurrected Lord. Do you guys remember that story? So it's in John 20. And listen to this really unexpected detail in John 20. 21 to 22. And again, the context is Jesus, he's empowering the disciples that he's back from the dead and this new act of this new chapter and the activity of God is going to begin. And I'm reading here in John 20, 21. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Pre-COVID, okay? Pre-COVID. <laughs> and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you guys understand what he's doing? He's going back to a story in Ezekiel 37 from 600 years earlier where the breath of God brought resurrection. And Jesus is awkwardly but beautifully breathing on all the disciples in the room. And he's saying, the valley of dry bones is now. I'm the resurrection. The act of God that brings new life is is occurring right now. It's unfolding in your presence. The church age is starting, and I'm sending you out to preach the resurrection, to bring the dry bones to life, to bring spiritual new life to all who receive it. Isn't that a beautiful moment? And finally, Ezekiel's vision is understood. Like for, five, for 600 years, nobody really understood what Ezekiel 37 was all about. Let's be honest, it's really weird. 
And when Jesus breathes on the disciples at that moment as, as evidence of the truth of the resurrection, as well as encouragement that their job was to now bring that, res- that news of revival and resurrection to others, like Ezekiel has seen, he's just been validated. This thing that he presented to everybody that was ignored for, for centuries, Jesus is like he was right all along. He understood what God's next act was all about. So let's wrap up with two quick points before the worship team concludes our service. Let me just give you guys two things that I think are encouraging things for us to take from this story. The first one is this. Ezekiel's discouragement and failure and anonymity was erased by the hope of resurrection. So many times when we feel like we are being faithful to God, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your marriage, maybe as a parent, and you feel ignored, and you feel that your work for God is not being recognized, we long as humans for affirmation. We want validation. We want someone to say, you're a great pastor, even if there's only 40 people in your church. We want people to say, you're a great mom, even if your middle school kid is getting a bunch of detentions, right? Like we want that, we want that affirmation But did Ezekiel get that? Was Ezekiel celebrated by his peers? Or did God counteract the discouragement and the failure and the anonymity with that vision of resurrection? And so what I would like to suggest to you guys is that if there is an area of your life where you know you are being faithful, reaching out to friends, loving a spouse, parenting, uh, representing God with integrity in the workplace, and it doesn't seem to be affirmed by your peers or those people that you're trying to connect with, just know that you've already received the ultimate affirmation of a God who sees you and loves you. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like God has already demonstrated to us how much he loves us and the lengths that he is willing to go through to, to validate us and to affirm us. It doesn't come from a coworker or sometimes even a spouse or a friend. Like that, that affirmation, that validation has already come through God showing us the lengths that he'll go through uh, to, to, to bring that validation to us through resurrection, through what Jesus has already done on the cross. And the final encouragement that I want to close with is this, trust in God's timing. Maybe there's somebody that you are trying to reach for God Maybe there's an area of your life that you are trying to demonstrate godly character in, to reach through to somebody who is not understanding how God wants them to live in that way. Maybe God is even bringing something to your mind right now of something that, uh, an area that you've been faithful in that just doesn't seem like anybody has noticed. And I just want you to trust in God's timing because for 600 years, Ezekiel was just a weirdo. For 600 years, nobody had the foggiest idea as to what this vision meant until Jesus awkwardly and beautifully breathed on the disciples and said, this is the life that comes through resurrection. This is how much lengths God will go through to reconnect sinful people to his love. And it took 600 years before anybody had the foggiest idea as to what that all meant. It might be five years or 10 years or 12 years before anybody recognizes the faithfulness that you are representing God in in a certain area of your life. But trust in God's timing because God sees you. God recognizes what you're doing, just like he did in Ezekiel's life, just like he did in this story. So I'd like the worship team to come forward and wrap up our service. As they do, let me just conclude with this summary statement. God didn't bring Ezekiel empowerment through prestige 
or through accolades, but rather God empowered Ezekiel with that hope of resurrection. Let the new life that Jesus has brought us be our ultimate affirmation and validation, even if it doesn't necessarily come from our peers or those who are watching. And let's think about the fact that God's response to sin is always resurrection as we conclude with this final song or two.